the history of the Mazdan Way. We can trace the Mazdan Way back to the prophet if it's a revelation, Zarathustra. As a human family, we are often seen as being divided by our several races. For this book and for the Mazdan Way, race has no real significance. In fact, the direct words of the prophet have come down over the millennia to us to say absolutely nothing about caste, race, or nationality in his thought-inspiring words we call the Gathas, which are at the absolute core of Mazdan beliefs and practices. There are literally zero references found to race or nationality in the Gathas as pertain to the qualifications of those aspiring to Mazdanism. However, to under to understand some basic things about the history of a people, a culture, and a religion, one must have a contextual uh, amount of information on the subject. So we'll start with genealogy. Scholars usually tell us that a race is made up of a group of people resembling each other and certain inherited characteristics which distinguish them from other groups. Antiquity called the Iranians and the Indians as part of a larger family or tribe called the Proto-Indo-Iranians. These also are part of a group of languages and cultures known as the Indo-Europeans. The Iranians and Indians and all other Indo-Europeans have their origin as nomads and pastoralists in the Central Asian South Russian steppes. This is the geographical region just north of the Caspian Sea between the Ural and Volga rivers. To be clear, all Indo-Europeans, or Caucasoids, derive from this region ultimately. From the parent Caucasoid group, there derived three subgroups of cultures and languages. These were the Nordic, the Alpine, and the Mediterraneans. For purposes of this historical survey, we'll focus on the Alpine family of Indo-European origins. This Alpine family again split into the Armenoids and the Aranoids, those comprising what are uh, Armenians, and Iranians. Around the 4th millennium BCE, the Aranoids or Aranoids split into two migrations, migration groups, who became the Iranians, eventually setting the Iranian plateau, and the Vedic Aryans who would settle among the Indus Valley civilizations, the uh, Harappa and the Mohenjaros, around 1500 BCE. The Proto-Indo-Iranians, who became the Iranians and the Vedic Aryans, would have migrated across through Kazakhstan as the Iranians met the civilizations boarding on the Oxus River. It is possible that the Prophet was born in this area. The Vedic Aryans or Vedic Aryans would take the easterly path across Kyrgyzstan, south and southeastwards, toward India, where they would settle. Of these two distinct groups, we turn to the Iranians. The reader will have to understand at this point that Iran and the Iranian people were Indo-European or Indo-European and not Arabic, as many may be as may be assumed by the modern geographical circumstances. At the time that the Iranians settled what is today Iran, about 1200 BCE, and gave them gave the geography gave that place the name Iran. Uh, the Arab world was fairly insignificant, historically, anyway. It was not until 1600 years later that the Arabs conquered Iran in the form of the Islamic takeover of the 7th century BC, uh, CE. 
The Iranians, as part of the Indo-European family of languages and cultures, still survived also in the Caucasus Mountains as the ethnically Caucasoid Ossetians, or Ossetians. The Sakas, another group also, or a subset of the Indo-European group, who uh, remain around there. The Iranians, who gave the name to the geographical location, now called Iran, spoke Indo-European language very close to, and in some instances identical to, Sanskrit. This should come as no surprise to the reader as they're distant cousins. Their religious beliefs were kept, learned, and transmitted orally, mainly in the heroic, but also in lyrical and religious spiritual poetry. Think about the Hindu Vedic poetry. These beliefs were fairly nature-based. However, in the observance of natural phenomena, spiritual truths are often discerned. An order was divined in the intelligent and creative, uh, as intelligent and creative in the way that the luminaries moved, the seasons changed in time with them, and agricultural and agriculture seemed to exhibit predictable patterns based on these same seasonal and astronomical changes. The gods of the people were personifications of natural elements, as well as abstractions such as emotions. So, since we've dealt with the um, genealogical, let's move on to the sociological. The Proto-Indo-Iranian culture was two-chambered society, with the priests and the shamans, those with direct experience of God, as well as those who learned at the feet of these people, were distinct and separate from the rest of society. They were the higher of these castes and commanded more wealth in the form of herd animals, the currency of that time. The Iranian people saw creation in an ordered, seven-staged event. They perceived that the sky was a stone or having a stone shell. Think of like a geode with the water inside the cavity. Inside this shell of a sky was a sea of water upon which floated the earth in its flat, disc-shaped form. Remember, there, these were ancient people. They weren't. We didn't have the modern conception of the of the globe. Incidentally, though, in the Gathas, he does talk about the spinning Earth. So, this could be this could be um, this could be slightly off key here. But upon the Earth grew vegetation, plants, and trees. Then appeared animals. Then mankind. Finally, fire was discovered as the final or seventh creation. Even before the discovery, the light evident in the celestial realm was divine. As each of these creations of life died, of course, mankind dies, cattle dies, vegetation dies, the people began to mythologize the process of the life, death, and rebirth process as divinely driven, a result of the original sacrifice by the gods. Mankind would employ priests to reenact this daily or regularly to ensure the cycle of life, death, and rebirth began by the gods. This made mankind the agents of creation and the helpers of God, the co-workers, homkars. Death ever loomed on the horizon, and since they reenacted the ritual sacrifice for the world daily uh, for its creation and recreation, they hoped that the personhood of the individual upon death of the body would also be recreated or reborn in an afterlife station. Myths about the punishment for evil and the reward for good were not yet considered, but were beginning to be um, intuited. At the time of around 1700 BCE, Zarathustra was born to the Spatamid family. His life story is not much more than traditional tales, though certain miraculous or fantastic stories had do surround him. These range from his conception, certainly divine and according to, tra tra to tradition, and his birth, where he laughed instead of crying, as 
uh, and of course his death. Varying histories certainly coalesced over time to a canonized form we have today. Most do not believe them fundamentally, but they do follow uh, the messianic patterns which continue uh, in history after his demise. These likely are the pattern for later supposed divine men such as Christ and etc. Zarathustra sought the divine prototype uh, to the mind which he understood as being possessed by mankind. Though he, uh, though he rightly supposed that some have this in greater or lesser degrees, it is to his revelations that, which he received over the course of his adulthood that we will turn now. Zarathustra at age 20 secluded himself in what was probably some desert cave to meditate upon God, life, and creation. Silently, he meditated. He prayed to Ahura of wisdom, who he called Mazda, or Munzda. He was taken um, astrally into the company of gods, returning as the prophet of a new faith, uh, the worship of wisdom, or Mazda. The salience of his new tradition has always been heralded as the beginning of true philosophy, of true wisdom. So, in the next episode, we'll look at the 16 major points defining the revelations which came to be known as the Gathas and the later Avestan and Young Avestan literature, of which the Gathas are the core. These have recently been enumerated by Dr. Stephen Flowers in his book, The Mazdan Way. So we'll break for now, and uh, next Wednesday we'll pick up with the 16 guideposts, and um, uh, we will we will make a list of an explanation for each of these for a better understanding. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed yourself today, and uh, as always, I wish you happiness and ushtate, happiness to you. <laughs>